Welcome to this week's episode of The Fly on the Wall Politics Podcast here at Georgetown University. We are here with Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State. Um, we're very excited for this conversation. It's, it's been a long time coming, and I am very excited to get into it. Uh, I'm Chase Dobson. And I'm Julian Zeitlinger. And I'm Brad Raffensperger. Secretary Raffensperger has served since January 19 in office. Um, he's played an integral role in organizing elections in Georgia, and we're very excited to learn more about his experiences, which have been many. Um, so, because we're short on time, I'm just going to jump right into it. Go um, for it. Can you tell us a little about your phone call with former President Trump? Um, that was recorded and, and widely publicized. Um, can you tell us where you were when you received the call? What was your initial reaction, both during and, and after um, you had to have that very difficult conversation? Well, I was holiday weekend, so I was home in the kitchen with my wife, Tricia, and we were told to give the White House a call at three o'clock, went through the White House switchboard, and then they connected us to the president and his team of people. Mm -hmm. And then we had a conversation, and. Uh, I was hopeful that as we talked to the president, we could help him understand why he came up short. Mm -hmm. And if I understand correctly, um, the president reached out to you, or Mark Meadows reached out to you in response to an interview you did on Neil Cavuto's show on Fox that morning, correct? Correct. Uh, when I was interviewed by Neil Cavuto on Fox News that morning, I just went through the uh, data points, and I think at that time I told him that uh, that. Uh, Senator Purdue had gotten actually, I think it was 19,000 or 29,000 more votes in the metro region than President Trump. Also talked about uh, the other voters. But since then, uh, I really, we've dialed in exactly what those numbers were. It's really two big data points. Number one is when people came out to vote on election day, there was 27,900 people that skipped the presidential race. And yet the Republican congressman they got 27,550 more votes than President Trump. So they skipped the top and they came down and voted for the Republican congressman. And that's why he came up short on that data point, because right there, if everyone would have stayed with President Trump and the congressman, he would have had 27,550 know, more votes. And that, he lost by 12,000 votes. But the other thing is, there was actually 33,000 Republican voters that voted in the June 2020 primary that did not come back at all to vote in November did not come back at all. And that's really on the campaign. They should attract those voters and said, hey, you haven't voted yet, you haven't voted absentee, you haven't voted early, because we had 16 days of early voting back in 2020. We now have 17 days. Hey, you still haven't come out, and it's election day. Are you coming, when are you coming out, type of deal. And so those are the data points I was trying to share with President Trump, and that's why he came up short. And if you had the 33 and the 27, you come up about 60,000. And interestingly enough, Governor Kemp won by 55,000 votes in 2018. Really just shows you how competitive Georgia is. You have to make sure you get your people out to vote if you want to win elections. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little more about kind of the intense experience of, of directing so much election policy in a state that time and time again has, has come into the national spotlight um, for, you know, very close elections? Like, uh, I guess, to be frank, like, what's it like kind of working that job? Well, it's been exciting because I took office that very simply as a business owner and as a licensed structural engineer, mm -hmm. also licensed general contractor, I wanted to streamline professional licensing. 
Yes, we handle that. I want to work on corporations because I have a lot of corporations and other people do. How do we make sure you get your corporation registered? Securities and charities. Obviously with elections. We had the old electronic voting and I said we need to get a new system with a, a verifiable, auditable paper ballot system. And that's what we did. And we got that stood up during the presidential primary of 2020, did a week and a half of early voting, and then the whole state shut down, the whole nation shut down because of COVID. And also said, I want to be able to join a multi-state organization where we can do, you know, sharing of people's voter rolls from different states so we can see that movement of people, have they moved from, say, Georgia to Utah and have they registered there so we could update our voter rolls objectively because people said that signature match was very subjective. And as an engineer, I agreed. But when, interesting enough, we actually been sued by both the Democrat Party after Stacey Abrams lost, and then after 2020, when the Republicans lost, they sued us on signature match. Both of them said, this is subjective. Since then, we've actually moved to photo ID for that. So we worked on all these kind of improvements, and we came out of a lot of lawsuits with Stacey Abrams, and we beat that back, and we showed that we have record turnout. It's never been easier to vote. We have the appropriate guardrails. We also have great accessibility of elections. We now have 17 days of early voting, photo ID for all forms of voting, and now we have you know, set in place that counties have to keep lines shorter than one hour, mm -hmm. and we think that's really important. Not so much for what it means for accuracy, but just to improve the voter experience. We think that's important. Mm -hmm. And how would you say you dealt with the deluge of attention uh, directed towards both your office and Georgia elections in general post-2020, there were a lot of allegations about dead voters, underage voters, and a pipe bursting and suitcases of ballots at the arena. Um, so what was it like dealing with that just from a media perspective, from a public relations perspective? Well, we get the facts and then we give people the data points. So we were sued by the Trump campaign that there was 10,315 dead people. Went back and checked, we had found two then. Since then we found two more, so that's a total of four, not 4,000. And so those are the kind of things, they said there were 66,000 underage voters. But see, in Georgia you can register a vote when you're 17 and a half. And what we did is verify that every voter had turned 18 by election day. So there was zero underage voting. Then they said there was over 2,000 felons that had voted. We verified that there was less than 74. They said there was 2,400 non-registered voters. There was zero. So every single allegation we checked out. And then as it relates to State Farm, many people don't realize that we looked at that with our post-certified investigators. GBI looked at it, and so did FBI. And so when I talked to conservative groups, people that are very pro-Trump, I said, well, we looked at it that, and they said, we can't trust the FBI or GBI or your own people. I said, well, would you trust President Trump's people if he could pick someone to do that? And they said, sure. I said, did you realize he actually did? Because he actually assigned Bobby Christine from the Southern District, U.S. Attorney, to come up to Atlanta, looked at Fulton County, what went on there, and said there was nothing there there. He actually thought there was going to be something there because there's so much consternation and controversy about it. But when he really dug into it, he found nothing there. And so, but that's an urban legend that still lives, you know, four years after it happened. So you've alluded to this or mentioned it um, a couple of times, uh, you've experienced in possibly by, by virtue of how close Georgia is um, politically, um, but I think something that perhaps politicians in other states don't, which is a lot of conflict within your own party, um, where you have to deal with you know, both defending your party platform that you believe in and also um, managing a lot of very contentious disagreements 
um, within your own side. When you're in those kind of situations, politically, what principles are guiding you? What are, what are you? What is, what is your kind of um, horizon that you're keeping your eyes on? The truth and the facts, and then be kind with people. Uh, you have to understand. Um, just like I think Democrats, you know, were couldn't believe that they lost in 2016. You know, there's probably you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth on, on that side of the aisle. It, it was a tremendous loss for Democrats. Well, it was a tremendous loss for us. And for Georgians, you have to understand, we had won the governorship with Sonny Perdue back in the early 2000s. And all of a sudden, so we had, you know, Governor Perdue, Governor Deal, you know, Governor Kemp. So we just assumed that we're always going to win. And all of a sudden we have this shock. So it was a shock to our system. And so I think you have to then be very you know, understanding and kind. You say, give people the facts, but you have respectful conversations. I mean, you keep your voice calm, deliberate, but help them with the facts. Here's what happened. And when they start understanding that, you know, we're not you know, happy about the results, but those were the results. And bit by bit, you just move on. And a lot of people have accepted that. And that's why after the 2022 cycle, University of Georgia and MIT did a poll uh, jointly and they found that over 90% of all Georgians had a great voter experience in 2022, but also had high confidence in that. Mm -hmm. And so that's really it is. The gold standard of all this in this environment is trust. Mm -hmm. And that's what we look at. So that's why we have photo ID for all forms of voting. We check citizenship. We believe that only American citizens should vote in an election. And guess what? 70% of all Democrats believe that way. 90% of all Republicans. That's 80% of all Georgians. Mm -hmm. And so we know that that's something that people hold on to. So that's really important. And then we just continue to press forward to make sure we have fair, honest, and accurate elections, get those results posted quickly. Mm -hmm. So, um, sorry for that pause. Um, we're, I'll move on a little uh, from the topic of that election specifically. Um, but you, so you've uh, come out in support and defense of uh, Governor Brian Kemp's election bill. Um, and you've also um, maintained the security of the 2020 election as a fact. Um, can you talk a little about your support of that election bill in light of the 2020 elections having been secure? Well, we wrote probably 85% of it in our office and with another attorney, Brian Tyson. Mm -hmm. So our general counsel, Ryan Germany, uh, has been, you know, had worked in the Secretary of State's office, you know, with obviously Secretary of State Kemp. Uh, oh, my, from yeah. 2015 onward. So Ryan Germany and Brian Tyson, uh, we have uh, used Brian Tyson as an outside attorney for, for several years in all of our litigation, both with the Trump campaign and also with the Stacey Abrams campaign, outstanding election law. Those two together, neutered together, and we put, got into place some of the key things I wanted to finally get. And that was I wanted to get photo ID for absentee voting, and that's what we got. And we actually modeled it after Minnesota, which is a blue state. Mm -hmm. And we think that elevated confidence and security in the process. Uh, making sure that we had 17 days of early voting, we think that's really important. Uh, now, some of the things that the General Assembly put in were removing me as chair of the state election board. I didn't support that because since the beginning of time, the, the Secretary of State, you know, has been the chair of the state election board. But they thought they needed a scalp, so, you know, mm -hmm. I was the sacrificial lamb on that one. Uh, but we moved on, and we got a lot of good things in there. And so we also have shown with the turnout we had in 2022, we just continue to have strong turnout, and we showed that it's really easy to vote in Georgia. We have great security in place. Voters have high confidence in it. 
And that's why we're winning these court cases as people try and pick at some of the points that they didn't care for. But we've shown that it's easy to vote in Georgia and we have great security around the whole process. Mm -hmm. And we think we've struck you know, the perfect area right in the center lane of where we need to be between accessibility and security. And coming out of the 2020 election and the 2021 election security bill, um, you ran successfully for re-election in 2022. So could you speak to that experience? Well, it's more of the same, just going out and talking to people, bit by bit, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, with groups, community groups, Tea Party groups, uh, conservative uh, county Republican groups, and then business groups, chambers, you know, all over the state. You know, if you get 10 people together, well, that's why I'm here at Georgetown today, just to talk to another group. Now, you all don't really probably have questions about the election of 2020 or yeah. things like that. But if I have the opportunity just to really, you know, spread more of our message of what we're doing in Georgia, I think that really is good for Georgia. Because when all this election controversy, if you really boil it down too, when it's not supported by facts, it's bad for business. Mm -hmm. And Georgia's number one job is make sure we're a great place to, to build your career, build your business, and raise your family. And so we want to make sure that people understand, you know, this is a great place to live, great place to work, and uh, come on down to Georgia, and uh, you're going to have a great time. You, gotta, you know, can't, can't do any place better than Georgia, and we love it. So you're optimistic about the future of elections in this country? I'm future about the optimistic of elections, and I'm optimistic about the future of Georgia. That's fantastic. Um, so I want to go back a little bit um, to talking about the, um, as you mentioned, the sacrificial lamb situation uh, with um, that uh, election bill. Um, what was it like to kind of, uh, it's not what was it like, what emotions and what political considerations were involved in your response um, to that sort of uh, I don't know if I'd call it a demotion or definitely a change in your role in the state. Well, I don't chair the state election board, but we continue to send them over our investigations, and unfortunately, they became very dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And they finally, you know, have a new chair, and he's got a different mission. And I think we'll work really well together. And I'm really grateful that uh, you know we've got positive leadership on the state election board, so we get the job done. They have over 300 cases that they need to. Be investigated. In fact, it got so dysfunctional, but we found 17 uh, double voters recently. That's voters that voted in two states, our state and some other state. We sent that to the local district attorneys so we could actually begin to get investigations and get that, you know, before a grand jury so they could actually begin to actually, you know, charge these people for what they've done. Mm -hmm. And recently, Georgia Senators uh, voted for the appointed Board of Elections to oversee your handling of elections. Um, what do you think is behind this politically? Uh, Probably 2026. There's some people that want to run for higher office and uh, they just, you know, are getting uh, off track and off focused. Our job right now is to make sure we have fair and honest elections, and their job right now is to make sure they continue that, that we have, you know, that surplus that we have, as much of it comes back to the people so we get, you know, tax cuts and so the middle Americans, middle Georgians, you know, can actually get the benefit of the prosperity we have in Georgia. That's admirable. Can you talk a little more about what you think the economic future of Georgia um, looks like in that light, especially in regards to the middle class? If you look at Georgia, obviously the metro Atlanta region is doing well. 
we also have just an incredible economic opportunity and growth we're seeing in the Savannah region. And it's not just the city of Savannah, but really the multi, several counties in that area. We have Hyundai has expanded up I-16, and you're seeing all the growth that's coming along there. And we're really becoming the EV capital of the world, well, certainly of our nation. Uh, we also have Rivian there, so tremendous opportunities for growth. We're also seeing Q-cells. You know, they have two plants that they're building right now. So you're seeing all this growth throughout this, uh, the area. Then the Port of Savannah is the second largest port on the East Coast, and it's continued to grow. And, and now we're actually considering, do we do, need to do another federal study to deepen you know, the port further for the container ships that keep on getting bigger and bigger? How do we handle additional volume? Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of growth. Uh, Savannah is really coming on strong. And so what we're seeing is great opportunities. What we're really trying to you know, lock into is we have great universities like UGA, Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. and many other uni fine universities. And we're very strong in technology, obviously, with Georgia Tech and what they do, medical research. And we also have the largest concentration of PhDs and medical doctors in the entire world in Atlanta, Georgia, because of CDC. And how do you leverage that for health IT and other kind of health innovations? And so you're seeing that those incubators starting to percolate in Georgia. And that's going to be great for our future. Mm -hmm. That's interesting about the, specifically the EV part. Um, obviously, EVs have also come under scrutiny kind of on a national level by maybe just some car fanatics who are used to the sound of a diesel engine, um, but also sometimes congressionally. Um, I'd love to hear more about how you see the, what you think needs to happen politically to really encourage the kind of growth that you're seeing in Georgia, specifically in regards to these um, electric technologies and these, I guess the future biomedical industry as well. Well, I think as it relates to uh, different modes of transportation, how do you power your, your vehicles, people do want a vehicle for themselves, uh, and, and we're all so spread out in Atlanta and Georgia and all of our other cities that you need mobile transportation. So you're, people have automobiles. The question is, what will that engine be? Will it be hydrogen? Will it be EV? Mm -hmm. You know, will, well, who knows? Maybe even be solar done. Yeah. It gets so efficient. Or it could just be a very efficient gas for, mm -hmm. you know, so what kind of technology you need right now and then what will be the future? And the market is going to dictate an awful lot of that along with people's preferences. And so we let the market uh, determine that. As it relates to health IT and health innovations, that really gets down to people, your know, business uh, creators and innovators to think about some great technology, and that could be actually, you know, biomedical, biomechanical, uh, something that's actually more um, a physical thing, a product that you're selling, or it could be something that's actually more in the IT space, but it's really health related. But the market really will determine that, and that is really exciting that we have, you know, a lot of incubators in Georgia, and we're trying to grow that. Really. Uh, looking at different models of attracting some of the brightest minds that the world has come to Georgia and then they see that there's you know both financing for these great ideas and also tremendous growth opportunities. And voting opportunities as well. Any way you want to vote. You can vote early, you can vote election day, no excuse absent of voting. No matter how you vote, photo ID and it's your choice. That's fantastic. All right, do you want to move into lightning round real quick? I think we're almost out Sure, of sure. So we, I'm just pulling up to make sure that we are truly good on time. Okay, so at the end of kind of a lot of political and economic uh, talk, we like to kind of leave off, leave our listeners with a little bit of a lightning round.
asking some kind of more lighthearted and rapid fire questions. Um, so so I'm going to play the net for a couple minutes. Ab absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Julian, do you want to do you want to get us started with? Sure, sure. Um, you studied in Ontario, Canada, um, for your college experience. So, what is your favorite part about living in Canada, and your favorite thing about our cousins to the north? Well, I had no choice in that. My dad got transferred. Okay. Best part about Canada is I found Tricia, and we've been married over forty years. So, uh, the best export they ever gave this country is my wife, because I love her. Congratulations. Um, where does your love for Georgia come from? What, what, what drives you when you're talking to Georgian voters? Well, we left Northern Virginia. I worked for construction business and been down in Georgia nearly 45 years now. Uh, it's just the opportunity. We came down there young and broke, and uh, I told Tricia, it just, it's really tough to get ahead. What are we going to do? You know, I can work my job, but I don't know if I'll get where I want to be. And so we bought a daycare, and Tricia ran it, and three years later we sold it uh, because I had started a construction business with a partner. But if it wasn't for that daycare that Trisha really invested so much time and her energy in it, growing it from 65 kids up to 174 kids uh, to give us the financial leverage that I could then step out and not need a salary for several months as we got our business started. Wouldn't have been able to do that. And, and we just kept on growing our business. Then we had you know, our last two children there. Our first child was born in Virginia. And we just continued to, you know, to see Georgia grow and it's been such a great state for us. Uh, my first plant was down in Columbus, Georgia, and, and then we had another plant up in Forsyth County, and just got to meet the people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something true when they talk about Southern hospitality. Yeah. And, you know, Luke Bryan, he's a fellow from Georgia. You may not know him if you don't follow country and western music, but he has a song called Most, Most People Are Good, and he's from Georgia. I think that says it all right there. Yeah, he's not from he's not from New Jersey. He's not from Vermont. Yeah. He's from Georgia, and he came up with that song. So you know, but I know we all love our states, and I love mine. Yeah. And I hope you love yours too. And but I think we all also want to make sure we always love our country together, because united we'll do a whole lot better than we will when we keep on you know fighting among ourselves mm -hmm. and realize this is a wonderful country, and I love my state, and I just love what the country has to offer everyone. And what would you say your funniest campaign moment yeah, is hard, in Georgia? Hard transition on that one. Hardest, well, funniest, uh, I'll just, I was driving down in South Georgia and uh, uh, we got this person that said we could, you know, they said, no, no, this is a, you can't come and speak. I said, well, I'm running for Secretary of State. No, we only have this candidate for Secretary of State. Well, I thought this was a Republican Party meeting. No, we're going to have this person run for the, they had to pick their people, one person for LG, one for S. And I left kind of hot. And I said, okay, we're driving back three hours back to Atlanta. And all of a sudden, I'm driving along this four-lane highway, and this guy had a sign up there that he had a Trump sign. And I said, he had a Trump sign. Why voted for Trump? Stop the car, stop the car. And I got out and I knocked on the door. I said, ma'am, sir, I'm, I'm Brad Raffensperger. I'm running for Secretary of State. I celebrated, voted for Donald Trump. Well, I supported him when I was in the State House. And I'm running for your Secretary, uh, I want to be your Secretary of State. Can I put up a yard sign? And he said, absolutely. So I put my sign there. So it's kind of like I just, you know, yes, you, can, you just kicked me in the curb back there 50 miles ago, but we're going to win here tonight at this one house. So I thought, and that's really what it is, is that not everything goes your way, but you just got to make the decision that you're going to fight, fight, fight all the way through it and just knock on people's doors, say hi to them with a friendly voice, tell them what you want to do for them. The best free media is a truck on the highway. Yeah.
Um, so this is kind of not at all related to politics, um, but our last question, uh, a lot of late nights as Georgia Secretary of State, I presume, what's the best snack for when you're on the job? Probably granola. Yeah? You know, what's your what's your, uh, what's your your poison? What's your granola company of choice? Uh, it doesn't really matter. I, I love everything that Kind Bars does. Yes, uh, yes. And, and uh, by the way, uh, Daniel Lubetsky, he's a tremendous human being. He's, he's uh, just has a great life story if you ever want to, if you could somehow get him on here, but what he's working on, he's really working on peace, peace for America, peace for Israel, peace for Ukraine, and just peace between me and you, human to human, and he's just a tremendous human being, doing that all over the country, so couldn't say, he's just a fine, fine person, and I think maybe that's why he had kind bars, because he believes in kindness, uh -huh. and, and so do I, and I know you do too. Yeah, kind bars are great. Elections are great. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, you're about to go um, speak in front of Georgetown students. I wish you the best with that. Um, and I, I hope you have a great time in D.C. and then get back to the warmer Georgian weather, although it's starting to get a little better here. Yeah. Well, I saw that uh, a whole bunch of ladies out there playing soccer. Yep. I don't know if it was the, the varsity team or just a rec league, but... There's like a lot of soccer teams going on yeah. here. Yeah. You guys have good soccer in Georgia, too. The, South, the southern soccer scene is... Well, we have a long season, just like our golf teams yeah, are real I, good, too. I, I have to admit, and this is the end of the interview, so I'm just going to say this, I'm a very big Alabama fan, so I was... Well, I was bless your heart, little, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be praying for you. Yeah, I, I, I will be, too, man. It's, things are not looking uh, good. Well, uh, I just want to let you know, when you come to Georgia and you uh, know that we're, we're all bulldogs over here, yeah. but... but uh, it's all the SEC. I'm rooting for whatever SEC school is ultimately. Well, well, okay. Now you're talking to my good ear. Yeah. Well, but now we, now we just need to get you, bring you back. Bring over here. back to the, Come over this side yeah. of here. Yeah, it's UGA Bulldogs. Yeah. And, and we're good to go. We'll see how the new Bama coach. Maybe maybe, maybe that will end up being being. Well, what I think uh, I think uh, Kirby will have fun beating him a few years in a row. So. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for speaking with us. It's my been pleasure. A great conversation. Thank you. All right. Signing off. Thanks for listening to The Fly. You can find us on social media at The Fly Georgetown. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure to subscribe to The Fly and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Our researchers are Kenneth Jackson, Julian Zeitlinger, Abigail Asadi, and Chase Dobson. Our communications team is Andrea Smith, Austin Culpepper, Darius Wagner, and Sarah Sverdlov. Our production team is Will Hayes and David Grice. Original theme music is composed by Aidan Eng and Bella Carlucci. And I'm Fiona Gallagher, Managing Director of the Pod. The Fly is brought to you by the Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service and is made possible by the McCourt School of Public Policy. Thanks so much for listening and fly with you soon.